once again to the Global Gale podcast, my friends. My name is Philip O'Connor coming to you from my little studio in Stockholm, Sweden, where I've lived for nearly 25 years now. And you are listening to the podcast for the 70 odd million Irish people around the world. That's people born in Ireland, it's people of Irish heritage. It's uh, basically a podcast for the Irish diaspora, celebrating the Irish people around the world. As I always say, there's no such thing as an ordinary Irish person abroad. Now, this is one of the more serious episodes that we've done. If you go back over the last year or two of podcasts, there's often been artists on and sports stars on, and people telling us about what a great life they built for themselves in Australia or in Abu Dhabi or in San Francisco or New York. Uh, this is not that kind of podcast. This week we're speaking to Mazen Hania. Um, Mazen is part of an Irish family that was living in Gaza. Mazen himself and his four brothers were all born in Dublin in Ireland, in Blanchardstown, if I remember rightly. And a few years ago, they moved back to Gaza uh, to be with his father, Zach's parents, and to help them into their old age. Not unusual, and indeed, there's many people listening to this podcast who might be considering doing the same thing and moving back to Ireland to look after their elderly parents. Uh, that happened back around 2012 or so, and Mazan and Zach and his family uh, have been living there ever since. Then October the 7th happened. That was the morning when Hamas led an incursion into Israel. It started off with a rocket barrage of several thousand rockets. uh, And then Hamas fighters went across the border into Israel, breaching the border, attacking military bases, uh, kibbutzim, and also attacking a music festival and Israeli communities just inside that border. Those attacks led to 1,139 confirmed deaths, 695 Israeli civilians, including 36 children, 71 foreign nationals, and 373 members of the Israeli security forces. Uh, There was also the case of approximately 250 Israeli civilians and soldiers who were taken as hostages back across the border and into the Gaza Strip, including 30 children, with the stated goal of forcing Israel to release Palestinian prisoners. Now, I think many of those of you who are watching the news on the day of October the 7th and the day of October 8th, uh, certainly I was one of them who thought, okay, this is not good. Uh, The repercussions are going to be fairly violent and it's going to happen pretty quickly. And as if you've been watching the news at all over the last three months, you will know that that is exactly what has happened. Since then, Gaza has been subjected to a campaign of, you only have to call it carpet bombing. Um, most of the population of Gaza has been displaced. I think the last figure I read was around about 85%. Uh, you just have to go on the internet to discover how much uh, of the, the Gaza Strip has been destroyed. So there's nowhere to live, there's no water, there's no food, there's no nothing going on there at the moment. And indeed, Israel has been brought before the International Court of Justice, which is the highest court in the world. Uh, and that court has basically ruled that there's a plausible case to be made that Israel is engaging in genocide. In the middle of all this is Zach, who came to Ireland uh, to have a family and raised his sons, Mazen, and Mazen's three brothers, uh, with his wife. Um, I spoke to Mazen the other night. I've been trying for several weeks to speak to Zach, but Zach is still stuck in Gaza and cannot get out. Basically, the situation as it occurred was that as soon as uh, the bombing of Israel or the bombing by Israel started in Gaza, uh, Zach and, uh, tried to get the, the Irish Department of Foreign Affairs to help him to have his family evacuated. And now, as I mentioned earlier, Mazen and his brothers, th- these are all Irish citizens, so they're entitled to protection from the Irish state. And they were successful to a point. As you'll hear Mazen recount in the interview that you're about to hear, uh, they went to the border crossing one day at Rafa, and their names were on the list of those who would be allowed to leave Gaza, all except Zach, who was still there at this moment in time. Now, I reached out to Zach, and as I say, we've exchanged a few voice notes and that kind of thing, but as you'll hear in the interview, there is no electricity, uh, there's little internet, it comes and goes and that, and I was proving impossible, and the man has better things to be doing, to be honest, than uh, putting up with the likes of me, sending him messages to ask him what's going on and that kind of thing. So I decided it would be better uh, to talk to Mazen, who has grown up there for the last 12 years before returning to Ireland where he was born. Uh, about the situation there, about what life was like there, and about what happened since October the 7th, and what it was that led him and his family to leave and to return to Ireland, and also about his father's situation, which, at the moment of speaking, his father is still there, and we have absolutely no idea what's going to happen to him. So, yeah, uh, there won't be any of the usual frivolities, any of the usual jollity on this podcast, but I strongly suggest that you listen to the entire interview. He's a very, very impressive young man, uh, tried to do his best for his family and tried to uh, basically save his father's life by getting him out of Gaza in any way he can. Here's this week's interview with Mazar Hania, son of Zach Hania, a proud Irishman and a proud Palestinian currently trapped in Gaza. (laughs) 
could we start with um, how you and your family came to be in Ireland? Have you uh, do, were you born in Ireland? Did you grow up in Ireland? Yeah, um, actually, it started uh, my father after he finished his bachelor's uh, in Gaza. He came here to Ireland um, and finished his master's in uh, journalism and then went back to Gaza and get married and back to Ireland and he had four kids. I'm the oldest one. You're the man of the house at the moment now whilst your father is in Gaza, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm now responsible for it. For the, for the dad work, exactly. I want to say. Taking the place of him. Um, did you, were you and your, and yeah. your brothers and sisters, were you all born in Ireland then, before you went back to Gaza? Yeah, yeah, all of us. Uh, actually, I have no sisters. It's only four brothers. Uh, we are four, four, four kids, yeah. Four boys. Me and uh, my... Yeah, four boys. Yeah. And tell me, when you were younger then, did your dad uh, decide to move back to Gaza or how was it that that you came to be back there? Actually, during uh, that time, I I was born in 2004 and we lived till uh, here in Ireland, we lived uh, till 2012. Hmm. And we decided to move back uh, in 2012 uh, because uh, of my grandparents, they needed to... extra care hmm. they had no one to take care of them so uh, that's when we decided to move back to Gaza actually during that time we, we were uh, like um, uh, traveling each year hmm. if I would say maybe each two years uh, back in, uh, in Gaza and back to Ireland hmm. What was it like so, for yeah. you when you were eight years of age, Mazen, and your mom and dad say, okay, your grandparents need us, uh, they need us to look after them, we're going back to Gaza. How did you feel, you know, leaving your friends in, in Ireland then and going back there? And what was Gaza like at that point? Um, well, I really don't remember too much at that time because uh, I was young. Hmm. Um, but I think it was okay for me I mean, uh, at that time, as a kid, you you don't have uh, like um, how they say that uh, influence in the family in the family decision. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I remember when I uh, my first this uh, day in school in Gaza, I was crying. <laughs> I don't know how to speak Arabic. I was only speaking English because I was born here mm-hmm. and uh, I studied here. Uh, junior and senior infants and first year of primary school. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so I was only talking English and everything was in Arabic and everybody's talking Arabic. I don't know nothing. Um, uh, the difficult thing as well yeah. is, is like because if you go to Germany, you know the alphabet is the same. If you go to Sweden where I live, the alphabet is the same. But Arabic, it's not even written in the same direction. It's written from right to left, and it has nothing in common with yeah. you know what you would have learned. You know, what, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, did your mom and dad speak Arabic at home? Was it just that you know that you struggled maybe with reading and writing, or did, did you did you really struggle to communicate when you first got there? Um, no, actually, they were speaking uh, with me and my uh, younger siblings when at home time, mm. always Arabic. Actually, I I had a rough time uh, say, uh, talking Arabic and English. Mm. Um, even till now, even till this moment, when I'm speaking with someone, just I throw a random Arabic word in the middle of the sentence. <laughs> it's it's like unconsciously happening. Yeah, um, and. That was happening too in, in uh, when I was a kid. Mm. Well, that's okay until you realise that your friends don't understand the English word. I was actually talking to an Irish guy today who also speaks Swedish, and I used a Swedish word, and he just kept nodding. And I was going, "Okay, that's not going to work in Dublin when I'm there next week." You know? <laughs> um, could you describe yeah. Gaza itself, right? Because we've seen most people at this stage would have seen the maps of the place. Whereabouts in Gaza did you live? Was it? Did you find it a beautiful place? Did you find it very different to Ireland and Dublin? Um, yeah, it was different, of course, completely different because you have your family, your cousins, your uncles, your aunts, everyone, family is there. Hmm. 
Mm. Your life is there. Th- that th- this is your home. I mean, of course, it will be completely different. Um, the part that I was living in, it's uh, it's 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 the beach camp. It's uh, west of Gaza, kind mm. of middle west. Actually, maybe uh, five hundred meters and. Uh, uh, between between the sea and between our home, it's so mm. it's close. You can see my, you can see the sea from uh, our home. Mm. Uh, yeah, we were staying at uh, my grandparents' house, and we lived there till the till the war came. Mm. If I want to call it, I, I I only call it a genocide. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Do you remember, you know, when you're growing up in a place like that, you know, um, were you aware of what was going on? Were you aware of the fact that it was difficult or maybe impossible for many people to travel outside of Gaza? Is this something that people spoke about or was it just normal for you? Uh, you mean during like the normal times? Exactly, during uh, the normal times. To get out times. of Gaza. Yeah. It's actually hard. It's actually hard. Um, and sometimes you, uh, it is difficult. It's difficult. It's not that easy. You need to raise up a lot of money to get out of Gaza. Hmm. Um, and it, and it's a long journey you need to get to Egypt. That's like the, the worst part of it to get to Egypt. Hmm. Um, you need to pay a lot of money. Uh, there is something, uh, we call it, it's this, uh, like I want to say a program uh, with uh, Egyptian authorities, you pay a lot of money, so um, they can they want just to profit of people, you know, mm. um, uh, in any way they can. So we don't have uh, an airport, so yeah, they're we we the only one like they they profit from us mm. because there's um, only there's only one way yeah. out, and they know you have no choice, basically. Y- yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, uh, did you did you enjoy growing up in Gaza? Because what were you? You were like eight years old or so when you moved there, and you were there until relatively recently. Did, did you enjoy growing up there? Was it fun? A fun place to be? Yeah, one hundred percent. The first of it, the first years, maybe the first year or two years, it was hard, of course, because of the language and uh, you know, there is. I, I didn't meet my cousins before. Uh, my first time meeting them and you know uh, growing up with them going out with them and living uh, with each other we didn't that, do that before hmm. that, that was my first time so, and of course yeah it's it's really beautiful hmm. really it's uh, maybe the best best uh, part of my life growing up with my cousins and family hmm. family is home yeah yeah, I don't. I don't think a lot of people realise how important family is, and living close to your family in that part of the world. You know, you see your cousins, as you say, kind of every day. You know, uh, your grandparents, as you say, yeah. you lived with them. It's very, very close in terms of family. You know, uh, what did you do there? Did yeah. you go? Did you like to go swimming? Did you like to play football? What, what did you do after school every day? Um, actually, I. I I suck at sport. I'm just gonna say um, <laughs> I don't like uh, football. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't like football or or watching it or basketball or volleyball. Any any. Actually, uh, recently I uh, went to um, a match, a Gaelic football match, uh, uh, between Dublin and I forgot what the other county is. Um, I found it interesting, more more interesting than uh, football, regular football, because it kind of ma- uh, mixes between uh, football and basketball. Yep. Um, but me, me, I I love swimming. Swimming uh, is, is is the like the sport I like, the only one. Hmm. Actually, uh, in uh, eighth grade in secondary school, um, I got uh, th- I placed uh, placed uh, third in uh, on schools of the west of Gaza. Well, wow. um, yeah, yeah. There is uh, I think four schools and uh, 15, 15 competitors. I I placed third. Fantastic. Uh, and yeah, and I'm planning to go swimming maybe in Dalmay uh, in the next 
few days. Yeah, it's, it's, a yeah. lot, it's a lot colder swimming in Dunleary compared to Gaza, I can, I can tell you, you know? <laughs> yeah. We, we, we've heard a lot over the years, Mazen, about uh, the, the embargo, the blockade, and the fact that it's so difficult to get things into Gaza, from building materials to food to, to whatever, medicine, this kind of thing. Did you notice that growing up? You know, was there always food on the table? Uh, was it, you know, did you fish from the sea? How did you, you know, how did you survive there, so to speak, as a family? Uh, you mean during this war? No, before the war, because obviously nothing works since the war, and that's deliberate, you know. But before that, would you have had all the things you wanted to have uh, available to you in Gaza? Um, no, uh, food, yes. Um, my my father, yeah, he was working very hard actually. Uh, finding a job in Gaza is like the next impossible thing you can do. Um, mm. Uh, and if you found a job, it's not uh, a very good salary. Yeah. Actually, my dad, uh, in 2020, before the uh, COVID-19 pandemic started, hmm. he went. To, uh, he came here to Ireland to work uh, because he couldn't. Uh, we couldn't afford any bills. Uh, hmm. it, the salary is is so bad. Yeah. It was uh, trans. He was working as translator, but uh, it didn't work. Um, and. Uh, my father, as I told you, he was working very hard. We were, let's say, living good. We were living good, alhamdulillah. Mm. Uh, but other families, um, that um, their situation is not 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 good, mm. not good at all. Um, there is a lot of uh, children in the streets asking for money. Mm. Uh, it's yeah, yeah. Do, do, it's, it's not that good at, during the time. Yeah. Mm. Do people try to help each other out then, Mazen? Because it's one of those situations where pretty much everybody is in the same boat. Everybody is having a tough time. So do people look after each other? Do they take care of one another there? Of course, yeah, they do. Hmm. And in, in mosques, we... Um, in, in Islam, we have... <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, we have in Islam uh, something called zakah where each year... Uh, each year uh, in Ramadan we raise zakah hmm. um, every family every person is have to uh, uh, put an amount of money in like uh, a box hmm. and then that box will um, be uh, from an organized a specific organization will uh, distribute that money to families and uh, give them the things they need mm. so they can live. And even beside Zakat, people help uh, each other in uh, regular days, mm. in, 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 the, in the days. Yeah. Yes, they do. So, so if you're having a hard time, if your father can't find work, maybe the neighbor might help you out. And then, you know, when your father has found work and their neighbor is struggling, then they, you help them out and you return the favor kind of thing, yeah? Yeah, um, well, we, uh, the neighborhood we were in, they, 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 the situation were good. Uh, you know, um, uh, the, there is neighborhoods, and there is poor neighborhoods, and there is, I won't say rich, but maybe the situation is better mm. uh, than the poor neighborhood. Uh, the neighborhood where we are staying is, is not, not that, uh, Rich doesn't have uh, good money, but uh, we were good. Mm. Uh, we we won't, so we won't ask, or uh, our neighbors won't ask. But but um, uh, because it's not that easy, you go and you uh, you give you uh, you open your hand and say, "I want food" or "I want money." Mm. So it, it's not that easy uh, to do that. Mm. So. Um, you won't simply go ask. So uh, people help each other without asking. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, maybe on one day, maybe my mother made food and we go and send uh, some food to our neighbors and then um, our neighbors would the next day put in it food, uh, the same plate that we gave them mm. in the other day. Yeah. Uh, and re- return, return the plate uh, 
with food, not empty. <laughs> you never so, yeah. return it empty, yeah. It's it's a beautiful thing when yeah. you have <laughs> when you have neighbors who look after yeah. one another like that. Um, tell me about your father. He's he's still in Gaza uh, at the moment as we speak, as far as I know. And um, what kind of a man is he, Mazen? Um, like what part of it? <laughs> Oh, all all, um, all all the parts of it because I, I've texted him a few times, but obviously there's um it's difficult with mobile com- phone communications and that kind of thing there. So I've had a few little chats with him, but I just wanted to know. I mean, you're his son, so you're going to say great things about him anyway. I would hope, you know. Uh, was yeah. he was he a strict father? Was he a football fan, or did he like to swim as well? <laughs> yeah, he likes to swim. He was swimming. Actually, my grandfather was uh, his. He was the official man. He didn't have a boat. He didn't have a boat. He was um, with a net always on the beach. Yeah. Swimming at the shore and throwing the net and uh, collecting fish and selling it. Hmm. Uh, and so, so my father and my uncles have to know, had to know, like swimming. That's hmm. that's that's no. Uh, there's no choice in that. Yeah. Uh, my father, uh, he, he he he's not interested in football. He's not interested in sports really much. But after the uh, the recent World, World Cup, uh, he was, uh, I don't know what was driving him, actually. Hmm. Um, and he started to watch the World Cup. And um, after that, he was watching like a, a, a regularly. After that, he was watching football and football matches. Uh, actually, local football matches from Gaza. Wow. Too. Uh, yeah, that's fascinating. Um, is that because the, the yeah. last World Cup was in an Arabic nation? It was in Qatar, in Doha. Yeah, may, yeah, maybe that was a reason. Mm. Yeah, that might be a reason. Yeah, you never know. Uh, he, he might be watching Shamrock Rovers or somebody if he gets back to Dublin in the near future. Um, can you think back to October the seventh? I mean, what what happened in in Israel and then what happened subsequently? Did you? I mean, you're an adult now. You're not really a child anymore. Were you aware of what yeah. was coming after what happened with Hamas in in, in Israel? Did, did you think, okay, now there's war, wars coming now? That's it. Uh, no, actually, um, in the morning on 7th of October, I was heading to universities as the, my university, hmm. which is now bombed. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and my brothers were uh, being ready for school and we were going just as, as, as every day. And then we heard the rockets. Hmm. And sometimes uh, uh, they, uh, they test rockets but they launched them into the sea. Mm. And then we were looking, it's not like um, five or six, only one or two rockets, that, that's the, and the day, uh, in the morning of October 7th, um, we saw like <laughs> big amount of rockets being launched and not in the sea. I mean, we mm. were in the street and like, what is happening? Mm. We, and so we, we, we rushed into the stairs and opened the TV and, seeing the news and uh Hamas was in the uh, the they were in an Ashkelon in uh, hmm. in Israel in in in, the, in, in, in our homeland so we thought and after that it completed i mean uh, what i'm trying to say is that it, it continued yeah and israel israel was not doing anything about um they were like paralyzed or something. Hmm. We didn't know. We thought that that would be like the liberation day. Hmm. We were going to have dinner in our home hmm. in Astana, in my where my uh, grandfather used to live. My grandfather, uh, when the uh, Nakba started, he was twelve. Hmm. So yeah, so that day we would we thought that. We were going back today. We were going back to our homeland, to our home. Did, did people believe and, that, Mazza? That, that... We, we, didn't, we didn't anticipate like it would be really massive after that. And this whole genocide is being hmm. busy, being uh, continued. Hmm. Yeah. When did you realize 
that your that your family or that Gaza itself was in danger? Was it the eighth, the ninth, the tenth? You know, how soon did you realize that this wasn't actually the end of the Nakba? This this was the beginning of something completely different. Mm, maybe, maybe in the next day, hmm. like the eighth, maybe after. Uh, uh, the minister of uh, the IDF I'm not sure if that's uh, translated correctly hmm. um, after he announced and said that we are uh, um, um, uh, uh, human animals yes, and yeah. we will kill everyone hmm. so, and that, after that we we were worried that maybe they were, they were going to take serious action now hmm. So it turned upside down like 180 degrees after yeah. that. Yeah. And we started uh, going to the markets and buying rice and food. Mm. After they said that we'll cut electricity off, there's no food, no water, no mm. nothing. So we started rushing to markets, buying everything that we can get hands on. Mm. Yeah, it was and actually maybe before after two or three days uh, the market starting the markets st- uh, started to like empty being empty yeah not no food yeah there, there was nothing left there everybody had bought up everything that they could uh, did the prices go up at that time did people say right okay I have to have this so I don't care if I pay a euro for a kilo of rice or two two euros three euros five euros my family has to eat you know did did, did you have to spend a lot of money to get the things that you needed to survive no the price of things were uh, uh, normal at the first days of the first week but after that they were um, uh, gradually uh, increasing hmm. Because uh, it's it's almost impossible to get food into uh, into Gaza, and even if there is food um, after that, of course you know there is shortage of food. Uh, nobody can get uh, easily. Nobody can get easily a food. So um, some of the people or some of the traders would sell it for uh, for an amount of money, mm. for a good amount. You know, and then it would be uh, for the comp- com- consumer, uh, go, uh, uh, not 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 cheap as it, as it was. And hmm. um, when did you realize that you and your mother and your brothers were going to have to leave? Like, it, it, was that one of those things that you thought after the first couple of days we have to get out of here, or did you say, okay, we're going to try to stay here? Um, actually, uh, we we were staying. We were we we knew that uh, the IDF uh, is invading the north, and they are heavily bombing the north hmm. uh, before they invaded uh, in Graham. Hmm. Did, did, that, did, did that bombing? They were at, at that. Yeah, I was going to ask you, yeah. did, did that bombing affect you where you were? Or did, did you hear those bombs or, or was it something that was happening yeah. so far away that you didn't notice? Yeah, you can hear everything in Gaza. Wherever you are in Gaza, you can hear everything. But it's just a matter of uh, how loud it is. Hmm. And you don't want to hear anything of that. Uh, there is, uh, there are, I think on the fifth day, uh, our mosque, uh, which is close to us, uh, it, it's not. It's not really close. I mean, maybe it's a five-minute walk. Hmm. Uh, but when it when it was bombed, maybe four four uh, um, windows were uh, broken and fallen onto the ground. Actually, my um, uh, my youngest uh, brother he was sleeping, and the window fell on him, but. Thank God, uh, he was uh, sleeping and uh, what do you call this, uh, the mat? Yeah. Or he, yeah, he, he, the mat, and he was uh, covered by the mat. Okay. So nothing, not, not he didn't get injured or something like that. Thank God. Hmm. But, but After the- that, we we rushed. Yeah, we rushed. We rushed there to see if, if there was any injuries, anybody. 
there there was uh, uh, I think there was uh, I didn't uh, go there I helped my mother uh, with uh, cleaning the glass my my father and my uh, younger brother uh, went there to see I think there was some injuries hmm. yeah um that's a close call for your younger brother and indeed for your family when four windows of, of your house are, are blown out. Uh, so it's, it's obviously something that happened very close. Was was that the point when your parents said, OK, w- we can't stay here. We have to try to make a plan to get out of here. No. Uh, no. No, after that, after... <laughs> no, no, uh, we, we didn't we, uh, uh, decided to go yet. Uh, it wasn't actually intense at that moment. Mm. Um, it wasn't that intense. It was tense, yeah, but it wasn't that tense, like the extreme level mm. of intensity. Um, actually, after that, maybe after two days or three, uh, they started uh, 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 throwing uh, on us flyers uh, or uh, uh, pe- papers mm. um, that uh, says that you need to leave, go to south of Gaza. Uh, this isn't a, pl- a safe place for you. And they were saying that uh, Hamas is hiding, uh, Hamas leaders are hiding in tunnels and you are the one uh, being shot and killed. Mm. They don't care uh, about you. We hear those things all the time, Mazen, about, oh, you know, Hamas are hiding in the tunnels and they're hiding under the hospitals and they're hiding under the mosques and that kind of thing. How true is any of that? If you're living in Gaza and you're growing up in Gaza, are you aware of Hamas at all? And I I fully understand that Hamas were essentially the government of Gaza at that time. But is that, you know, is there any truth to what's being said there? Mm, I don't know, really. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm the right person to ask. I don't know anything of that. Mm. Um, but maybe, maybe yes. I don't know. Maybe yes. Yeah, well, I mean, they have to be somewhere. Maybe but it's, yes. it's just that it seems like they're, they're apparently yeah. on every square foot or every square meter of Gaza, you know? Um, when those flyers yeah. or those leaflets are dropped and they say, you have to get out of here, you have to go to the south of Gaza, was it a case of just pack up what you can carry and get out? Or or did you decide to stay on as long as you could? Yeah, we decided to stay as long as we can, and we did. Um, I don't know how we survived these days. I was every day on the streets looking for water, any cart, any man who has carts, there was a limit of stations, um, water stations, they provide mm. water, they take sea water and they filter it. Yeah. And uh, I think there was t- about 10 stations in my local area that they provide water, mm. uh, but maybe two of them were working, were, were, uh, were, um, and there's no cars, you can't... Uh, there's no gas for cars, so uh, the time you you won't you won't uh, or oh, you can't uh, get a, a car with a tank on it to mm. fill up your tanks. Yeah. Um. So people had to go on carts, on donkey carts. Yeah. Uh, put your tank, and you can go. Um. So we had um, a guy in the neighborhood to go there and fill up the tank and come back and uh, you can fill up the tanks from there. But it, that wasn't the case in every day. Mm. You need to go for uh, for uh, in different neighborhoods to get water. Mm. And you need to carry like a gallon and walk a good amount of kilometers to get Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I was I was the one in charge for water. Actually, oh, that's what happens when you're the oldest son, my friend. You get to do the hard work there, <laughs> don't you? Yeah. 
Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about electricity in Gaza at this point? Because uh, that's the the problem I've had in getting in contact with your father has been that, you know, you don't know when the mobile network is going to be up or if he's going to be able to charge his phone. I'm presuming there was very little electricity. You couldn't turn on your lights or your TV or anything like that, right? Yeah. Um, actually, during the normal days in Gaza, you, uh, there is a shortage of electricity. Mm. In the best days, the best days, I mean it, in the best days you can get like 10 hours or 8 hours out of 24 hours in the day, mm. 8 hours electricity, and then the rest of the day there is no electricity, no light. You mm. need to charge up batteries. I'm talking, I'm talking about the normal days. Mm. You need to charge up batteries and uh, hook up them to uh, an LED uh, system, mm. a wired system in your house, so you can have light during the night. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in the in the war. Uh, we had batteries, um, but uh, of course there is there is no electricity. You can't uh, charge them. How how can you charge batteries when there is no electricity at all? Mm. So we had to walk to a man who had like fifty six uh, solar panels. Okay. Uh, that the only that's the yeah that's the only way mm. uh, you can charge up the battery, and then from these batteries we can uh, like. Uh, turn on the router, the modem, mm. so we can get electric, uh, uh, electricity for the for the modem so we can uh, know what's happening in the world, mm. what, what news is there. Mm. And actually, that uh, that's how we contacted the embassy yeah. and the, the foreign affairs. So- um, yeah. So, so you and uh, your your brothers are obviously all Irish citizens. You were born in Ireland. Are your mom and dad are they Irish citizens as well? Yeah, they are. Mm. Uh, how in that case, when you contacted the embassy, was it the embassy in Tel Aviv that looks after Gaza as well? Um, I don't think I don't know really because my dad was handling all of these. Mm. Uh, calls and, and communications. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know. Yeah. But obviously they... I think, they, they, I think in Ramallah. I think in Ramallah. Ramallah, yeah. Okay. So how does that work then? So your father, uh, he contacts the embassy. He said, okay, there's a bunch of us who are Irish citizens here. You need to get us out. Did they sort of swoop in with a helicopter like a Hollywood movie and pick you up straight away and bring you back to Ireland? Or how did the whole process work out? I wish they, I wish they would, have been, would, have been, would have done that. Uh, but uh, it doesn't work like that because we're not... Uh, we're not uh, Ukrainians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there's a bit of competition now going on there, all yeah. right, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, this is the case, uh, Phil. Mm. I mean, uh, I don't mean to be rude or uh, offensive in any way, but if my dad was uh, a blonde, uh, had blonde hair and uh, white, uh, blue eyes, yeah, he would be here from the first day. Yeah. They would have gotten uh, out straight away. But yeah. This is a, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so you were saying, yeah, you were saying about the helicopter thing. Yeah. Well, what did the embassy uh, tell you to do? Did they no, send you to Ramallah or did you have to go to one of the checkpoints and try to, to walk out of Gaza? No. Uh, yeah. They told us to go to the Rafah border um, where you can, that's the only way you can get out. Uh, there is. Uh, Another way, which is Mala Karma Bsarin, where you can go throughout uh, from Israel. Mm. Uh, but that was impossible at that point because uh, Israel was crazy at that point. Yeah. Um, uh, so they told us that uh, you have to go to the Rafah border. And we wasn't actually, that was maybe the second week or third week where they told us to do that and um, we weren't uh, really sure about that, like um, leaving everything behind, leaving our home, leaving our life. Hmm. And we had we had like uh, some hope that maybe uh, the war will end or hmm. something good will happen. But hmm. that wasn't the case. Yeah. We, we traveled to the south, obviously, obviously in the 
day. Hmm. The next uh, day, uh, weeks, we traveled to the south after that. Actually, some of the families uh, who have Irish citizenship, they went to the Raha border and it didn't work for them as well. Okay. Uh, they Yeah, yeah they uh, were told that will be there uh, a Red Cross team there uh, waiting for them. Um, and the Rafah border for uh, passengers weren't open. Hmm. Wasn't open for anything. They weren't so allowing they, anybody in or they out? Went, they, went, they went to Rafah and paid a lot of money because uh, transportation is very... Um, is very expensive at that time because there is no gas, as I said. Mm. There is no gas for cars, so you need to be good, pay a good amount of money. Jesus. Um, the driver, yeah. Mm. They went to Rafah and back back to Gaza to their homes. Yeah. Um, when you left your home, uh, was that it? Did your father leave the home as well, or is he still living there because he's still in Gaza? No, we all left. We all lived together. Actually, my uncle's uh, family with, with, were with us because their home was uh, partially damaged. Hmm. Um, they their, 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 the home next next to them was bombed. Hmm. Uh, uh, till this moment, we don't know how, how they survived the bombing because um, bombs are not like regular bombs. I don't feel like they are regular bombs, they are like nukes. Hmm. Um, it, does, it doesn't only destroy um, the the home that is targeted, it, it destroys the whole neighborhood. Yeah. At least, as I told you, the mosque that was hit, um, our home was damaged, four windows are broken. And actually, there, there are cracks in the ceiling of our home because it, um, it's not only that war, uh, this war, it's all the uh, all the past wars, yeah, all yeah. three past wars. Hmm. Yeah. So you have all of this uh, um, shaking, shakings hmm. of the yeah. home due to bombing, due to bombings. And, yeah. Yeah. What did it feel like, Mazen, when you walk out the door of your home in Gaza for what may be the last time, because you don't know if, you're, if it's, if it's going to be there when you get back. What did that feel like for you and for your family as you left? We didn't have any feelings at that uh, time, Phil. Um, we were crazy. That Craziness was all that we had at that time. Hmm. Uh, we were crazy about all of the food we had how are how are, how are we going to carry all of this um, how are we going to sleep how are, how are we going to carry there is a lot of stuff you need to carry because my as I, as I told you uh, my uncle's family were, were with us and they are all girls mm. so they, you can't expect the girls to carry uh, stuff and go mm. and as you know there is no cars transportation is very hard we we hardly had uh, a guy in a car to carry us. Mm. Um, so yeah, at that uh, the first time we traveled or moved from uh, the home was to a Shifa hospital. Uh, it's not the, the hospital itself, but uh, another cousin was were living were living uh, was living there. Mm. So we tra- we moved to their uh, home. Yeah. At that point, as I t- the answer to your question is that we don't we didn't have any feelings. Yeah, it but after we, me and my brother, me and my youngest brother, yeah, sorry, younger brother, we are the, like uh, the uh, the oldest mm. uh, kids in the the whole home. The rest of the of the home is. Only my two youngest uh, brothers, uh, one in uh, in second class and the other is in uh, in second year mm. now. Uh, and uh, yeah, so they can't carry anything. We are the one who carry it like maybe four mm. uh, four four bags of flour, so we can make bread. 
Yeah. And each bag weighs about 25 kilo, Oof. 25 kilograms. Yeah, and we had, <laughs> there is no electricity for the elevator. And my cousin was on the fifth floor. <laughs> so we had to walk all the way, all the way up the stairs. That's that's only the, the uh, flowers, bag uh, flowers. Yeah. But there is also pillows and mats and mm. all sorts of things. That's a, that's a, a big bird to carry, all right. Yeah, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so, how long then did it that take? Was, yeah, go ahead. That was that. that uh, sorry, that was the first time we moved. And did you have to move several times yeah. after that? Then, yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's a lot of hard work. How did you eventually get out? Did you go <laughs> yeah. to? Was it Rafa that you went to that crossing and? Did you have to wait for a long time for the Irish government to help you to leave? Yeah, we we had to wait a good amount of time. Um, I don't know why the the uh, Irish citizens were evacuating from Gaza the last people because in the third week actually maybe Australian citizens and American and British. Hmm. Uh, citizens were evacuating, but the Irish uh, were the were the last. I don't know why. Actually, is it from the government or from mm. Israel? I don't know. Mm. Um, but yeah, at the end, at the end of the, the hell of this journey, we were um, actually there is no end to, to it. Um, but yeah, we we we. Uh, where uh, we moved, we got we've gone to Rabah border, and there uh, they they told us that day they told us that you have to go, and you were uh, you were expe- you uh, were expecting your your names on the list hmm. for uh, traveling because we have uh, there's the Egyptian side of Rabah border and the Palestinian side hmm. and. How it works is that uh, Egyptian side sends a list of names that are allowed to pass yeah. to the Palestinian side of the border. And they told us that you have to be expecting your names on that list. We went there and our names were not there. Hmm. So so um, we didn't know what to do. We were staying there. We, we actually we planned to uh, sleep that night there in the street because there is no place to uh, sleep there. Hmm. Uh, because that day we paid the driver actually 100 uh, USD dollars uh, to <laughs> to uh, move us from uh, the place we were staying in Khan Yunus and then to the Rafah border. So we won't like pay another 100 dollars to get there mm. so we thought that maybe tomorrow will the, the, the names will be there mm. so we plan to stay there but we didn't uh, we um, my uh, aunt who were in Rafah but close to the border so we plan to get there that would be like um, maybe less expensive yeah. than going back to Yeah. so we started we stayed there at that night and uh, my cousin, uh, which uh, we, uh, which were uh, uh, supposed to be with us, evacuate, but he didn't uh, get out. It's, it's the case. He's uh, like uh, the case of my father. Um, he stayed there at that night. Uh, he waited for the morning to come. Um, uh, our names were on that list, and he came to our. Uh, aunt's house and told us pack your bags and come um, yeah he had a he got a guy to to to, uh, to move us there hmm. to drive us there to, to the border and that day we, we we came out but but when you came out Mazen there was you there was your brothers but your father's name wasn't on the list right no, no, he wasn't. How did he take that news 
Did he tell you, go on without me? Did he want to go? Did he want you to stay? Of course he wanted to go, but um, when the embassy, I think, called him, actually, uh, yeah, I, I was with him when the embassy called him that day, when uh, they told him that your name, your names will be on the list, but your name uh, will not be on the list. And then he was like saying, how come this happened? Like, how can you spread families? Uh, hmm. How, how how can you let this happen? Allow this to happen? And they were just saying, "We're sorry, you can't do anything about it," and mm. you know that sort of stuff. Uh, he told me not to tell my mom and brothers, and uh, don't tell anybody. Maybe make uh, calls. I call them again, or maybe something magically will happen. Mm. Um, but nothing happened, and. <laughs> The morning came and um, uh, we um, we told uh, my mom and my brothers that um, we we have to leave, and that was like really really hard. That uh, that was like the hardest moment of life. When, when we were all crying and when did you get out of Gaza? Can you remember what date it was? Um, I can't really remember. But I think I think it was before Christmas, uh, if I remember rightly, was it? Yeah, yeah, it was before Christmas. And we're talking now uh, in the middle of February. So your father has been there for two or three months by himself. Uh, has he been in contact with the yeah. embassy? Has he been asking why his name isn't on the list of those who are allowed to leave? Yeah. Not him only, we, us, and we did a lot of things here in Ireland. We, hmm. uh, with help from uh, friends in the Solidarity, we made the uh, postcards that says, bring Zach back to the hmm. Michael Martin's office, uh, sending them, uh, but nothing happened. We made an online petition, and over maybe, I don't know what the number is, maybe 2,000 people that want to wants my father to be here mm. with us and nothing as well happened we met with Michael Martin but nothing happened we told him we told him that it's your responsibility you will be you will you are the responsible one for his life if anything bad mm. happens what, what did he, he will, what did he uh, say to that he said we I can't promise um, uh, anything but uh, we are trying very hard. That, that's all. And that's the only answer they gave us hmm. all the time when we ask officers in the, the foreign affairs of the embassy. Hmm. Yeah. And actually, I was talking to a journalist, uh, uh, I think, in the last week. And it, uh, she contacted the, the foreign affairs and they told her that they are trying the same answer, as I hmm. told you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're doing our best. We're doing our best. We can't promise anything, yeah? Yeah. Hmm. You're, you're back in Ireland now, the country, uh, a proud Irishman that you are. You left there when you were eight years of age. What's it like being back in Ireland now, knowing that your father is still in Gaza? Um, it's hard. It's a mix of feelings. I don't know to be happy because now... I can drink water, attend my classes, hmm. um, and live my life. Um, I don't know how to feel happy, sad. It's 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 hard. It's hard. Feel sad. Is, is I he, don't wish to anybody. I don't wish this for anybody to live. Is he in danger every day there, Muslim? Everybody in, is in danger, Phil. Everybody's in danger. You can't tell that the danger is everywhere. As long as your foot is in Gaza, you are in danger. That's that's one hundred percent true. What what, so you, what, yeah. what else? And I think the answer is probably only thoughts and prayers at this stage. Is there anything else that can be done for your father? Is there anything that can be done to make sure 
that his name is on the list at the crossing of Rafa. Is there anything the Irish government is not doing, do you think, that they should be doing to help to get him out of there? I don't really know how to answer this, but if they want, if they have an Irish citizen and they want him out and the Irish government really wants to do a thing about this, they would. I mean, uh, if Mayor Martin's son is is my dad, hypothetically, hmm. um, he would go there in Gaza and pull him out from there and come here, back to Ireland. Hmm. Wouldn't you say that? I would... I can imagine that's exactly what would happen if Michal Martin's son was your father. But for the moment, there's not a whole lot happening. Um, how are things for your mother? We were only talking about your mother yesterday and she's cooking up a storm there back in Ireland. How is she coping with all of this? Um, not very well. Um, um, she, we're having getting a hard time till hmm. it's... Uh, we're <laughs> We're not doing really well here. Yes, we have food, we have water, we have everything. We're breathing air, not smoke from bombs. Um, but we're also having a hard time to live now. I mean, every time, every second uh, I walk, I go on the bus or here or there in the middle of, of class, I always think, oh, what if... Uh, uh, bad news come, hmm. God forbid. But uh, I, I don't know. I don't know really. I don't know. It's, hmm. it's it's really really hard. None of us are happy, obviously, hmm. in this in this part of our life. Hmm. I wish I could say something to you, Mazen, that this will all be over soon and that your father will be safe. But unfortunately, if Michal Martin and the government can't do it, well then. I'm kind of not in a position to do that. But I want to say thank you so much for talking to me and for taking the time to talk to me and explain to me uh, what your life was like there and what your life is like at the moment. And we can only hope and pray that your father is soon reunited with you in Ireland. But uh, for now, thank you so much for talking to me. Of course, of course. I'm really happy to talk to you, Phil. And all the best. All the best. Thank you. Thank you very much, Phil. Thank you very much. Thanks. There you go. That was Mazen Hania talking about the plight of his father, Zach, who is trapped there in Gaza, uh, in Gaza and can't get out. Still close to the border, still going there, uh, asking if his name is on the list. And so far, several months after his family was allowed to leave, it still hasn't happened. Uh, I have been in touch with a number of people in the Department of Foreign Affairs. And yesterday I called the, the media line. They have a press office there and I called it. And unfortunately, I haven't received a response to the queries that I made uh, about Zach's fate. And I suppose these are often very complex diplomatic situations. It's not always the case that a government or that a department will want to speak about these things openly. And I know all about quiet diplomacy and I know all about doing things in the background and not drawing attention to things too. But you cannot ask people like the Hania family to live in darkness. You cannot ask them to live in a situation where they were able to leave the country uh, without any problem and their father is made to stay. Um, somebody needs to explain that to them. Somebody needs to explain to them what the plan is for their father. And they have met, as, uh, as Mazen mentioned, with Michal Martin, but it's not enough to say we're doing our best. Uh, tell the family what you're doing. Uh, tell for any Irish citizen anywhere, that's the least that any of us listening to this podcast can expect. If you'd like to support the work I do, patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm. That really, really doesn't matter to me at the moment, but I got to put it in there. And I would ask uh, that you share this podcast far and wide. I do think that public support for the Hania family and for Zach uh, is the kind of thing that is going to, to bring him home. I honestly think that, you know, with with your support and the support of the Irish community around the world, because let's not forget, this man is an Irish citizen. He chose to bring his wife back to Dublin. He chose to have his four sons born in Dublin. This is an Irish-Palestinian family. They're as Irish as any of us. Uh, and I do think that we need to gather around them and we need to say that we need to find a solution for this and we need to insist that the Irish government that represents us all at the end of the day, no matter who you voted for at the ballot box, uh, that they do their level best to bring Zach home. And if they can't do so, they need to explain to us why not. That is all that I've got for you this week. Um, I hope 
Uh, I mean, the word enjoyed is a little bit much when you're hearing about the plight of Zach there, but uh, I hope you got something out of this podcast. Tune in again next week when hopefully it'll be a slightly more positive note. And who knows, I'm looking forward to the day when on this podcast we will celebrate Zach Hania getting home safe and sound from Palestine, from Gaza. Until next time, my friends, look after yourselves, look after one another, and I'll be back very soon indeed with another episode of the Global Gale podcast, the podcast for the 70 million Irish all over the world. (laughs) 